Last week, we began discussing the principle of Hefzid Merubah, of great monetary loss, and its role as Psikara Lachab Sharatchak, as one of the extenuating circumstances for which we can bend the normal rules of Psak. However, I think it's instructive to turn to this category because it's not just an example of Sharatchak, but for Poskim, at least for many Poskim, it is the prime example, and in fact, legitimizes using Kulot that under regular circumstances and even regular extenuating circumstances would not be legitimate. But this case is so unique that it warrants particular leniency, and therefore it is helpful and instructive to look at Hafsid Maruba to gain some guidance into the way that Poskim approach Psikala Lacha Basharatchak. And this really emerges from a classic tshuva in the Rajbah that is often invoked in these discussions, Chelek Aleph, Tshuva Reishnum Gimel, where he writes as follows. Tshuva, Tchilat kol davar omer, She'en omrim kedayu ploni l'smoch alav, Bizman she'ish gadol mimenu b'chokmah v'minyan. This notion that sometimes we will rely on a minority position, we don't do that if the minority position is a significantly lesser authority than the posseik he's arguing on. He describes that posseik as gadol mimenu b'chokmah v'minyan, in wisdom and in number, which is a category that requires exploration. But for the moment, let's just suffice it to say that the, the Rajbah writes that even in extenuating circumstances, we don't normally follow the lesser posseik. And he writes, V'afilu even under extenuating circumstances, even in extenuating circumstances, that pressure can't push us to paskin like the lesser posseik. And similarly, we cannot break the rule of yachid and rabim, of majority and minority, even if there is extenuating circumstances, unless there is also a monetary loss, a great monetary loss, So the, Ram, the Rajbah seems to say that Hefseid Merubah, that monetary loss is paradigmatic and therefore will allow us to break rules that even normal extenuating circumstances won't let us break, such as following the greater posseik, the lesser posseik over the greater posseik, or the minority over the majority, or the single posseik against the majority. Um, however, it is worth noting that in the Rajbah himself, it doesn't seem to be an absolute rule, because at the end he says, and the like. And as we outlined all the way at the beginning of the year, it seems that the conceptual justification for for the notion that halacha functions differently under extenuating circumstances um, is, as Rulachlansin noted, that since halacha recognizes certain extenuating circumstances as being legitimate, that's built into the halachic system. And then you need to weigh your, la- your level of conviction that a particular psak is correct. And the more convinced one is that a psak is correct, the harder and the more pressure will need to be applied 
to convince the posseg to follow the less convincing position or the position that by normal rules of psak should not be followed. Now what the Rajban notes is that monetary loss is unique and therefore it seems to be able to push us to Paskin in ways that would not be considered legitimate even for most other extenuating circumstances. However, at the end, the Rajba hedges slightly, which I think makes sense because there are going to be cases where the pressure is so great that even if the loss is not monetary, one can argue from the principle of Shahatchak that if there were things at that level of pressure, so then maybe the same rules would apply. Now the Ramah cites this Rashba, and he doesn't have, um, at least as presented in the Ramah, explicitly this um, added words of Kayotze Bazaar. And the Ramah writes as follows. He says, When you have a biblical law and you have a safek, you have a doubt, you should go towards the stringent position. And if it is lenient, so then you should go after the lenient position. But this is only if the poskim are of equivalent levels. You don't follow the lesser posseik over the greater posseik even under extenuating circumstances. Unless it is both an extenuating circumstance and a great monetary loss. But if it's a minority single pose against the majority, so then you always follow the Rabbim. And then the, the Ramah goes on to qualify. Now in the Ramah, one could argue that unlike the Rajbah, where Hesed Merubah is the paradigmatic case of Sharat Chak, but therefore it seems to be that it would be legitimate to invoke other, counter, other pressures that are similar to monetary loss um, and apply similar level leniencies. A simple read of the Ramah is that that would less likely to be the case, and perhaps Hafsid Miruba would in fact take a unique place in Psak. Um, so, but whether one thinks, as the, I think the simple Pshat is in the Rajbah, that it's a paradigmatic case but not wholly unique. Or what seems to emerge from the Ramah, which is that in fact it is unique, um, what one sees is that at the very least, Hefzid Merubah is going to be a good place for us to look to understand the types of rules that will be applied. Bishad is as it is either a, a case that is so exceptional that it stands uh, independent of the other rules of Shalat Chak. Um, or at least for the Rajwa, it's paradigmatic and therefore um, is a, an example of a super Shalatchak, uh, as it were. And either way, it, it helps us understand the, the extent to which Shalatchak, and especially the unique case of Shalatchak of Hafsid, can push the halachic system.
Now I will note that it is possible that even if one wanted to believe that Hafsid Maruba is in fact unique, um, it is always possible to be slightly malleable with what counts as a Hafsid. Um, and I once heard a, a um, major uh, Poseik who was asked um, whether a mother would be allowed to attend an engagement party uh, for her daughter during the, the period of Avilut um, for her parent. And this Poseik argued that it would be permitted because the emotional loss um, should be equivalent with monetary loss. And since there are certain kulot associated with Avelut due to hefzid, due to monetary loss, emotional loss, the emotional loss that would be felt were somewhat, was somewhat, were someone not be able to attend the engagement party of their child, that should be called hefzid. And that type of psak, I think, indicates that even if one wanted to read the Ramah in the more limited fashion, that hefzid, that monetary law stands as a unique kind of sharat chak that allows for more kula, for more reliance on minority positions in ways that regular sharat chak does not, that can be um, played with slightly um, by expanding the notion of what counts as as loss. And as I said, the simple shot in the Rajba is that Shalatrak is paradigmatic, um, but not exclusive in terms of a super pressure. Um, and therefore is a good case to look at to try to understand the types of factors that can be invoked when we're dealing with, with Shalatrak. And a few points that I think are worth noting as we go through this sugya, and again, we won't cover every issue in Hafsid, but I think, as I said, certain points are uh, instructive. The first point, again, to, to summarize maybe our point more succinctly, is that there is this understanding amongst post-game that even within extenuating circumstances, there are various levels. And the greater the pressure, the more malleable we can be with the normal rules of Psach. And, and Hefzid is either the only case or just an example of a case of a super Shalatchak where we're allowed to break even the normal rules of Psachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachachach
of stretching the bounds of what is normally halachic um, argumentation. The second point is um, that in general, in Shasat Chak and in Hesed Meruba in particular, there becomes a there becomes difficulty in the post game to try to outline the exact definitions and contours of these categories, and there is a tendency of some post game to try to formalize it, and other post game to try to make it case and person uh, specific. And the way that the post schemes struggle to define Hefseid, Meruba provides us with a good case study in terms of the struggles that post scheme have in general with defining these extenuating circumstances and the extent to which you try to come up with a rubric which can be universalized and the extent to which you uh, try to zero in on the particular circumstance. Um, and the Bach is a good place to see this, because the Bach, in his Kalei Psak, in his Surah Heter, writes as follows. He says, It would seem to me that there are three distinctions that must be made. One is, Extenuating circumstances with minimal loss. And then if it's the middle of the week to an average wealth person, so we call that regular level shalatchak rather than super shalatchak, which is shalatchak plus hefsed. And that would therefore get the lower level kulot that the Ramah discussed. Two, shalatchak shish behefsed meruba, kamashmao, vafiul ashir. Loss. Extenuating circumstances, but extreme loss, in which case we invoke the super kulot, even for a rich person. Shlishi, shalatchak, sheyeshba, hefsed muat. Extenuating circumstances with a little bit of loss, the chashuv kilo hefsed meruba, but we consider it a lot of loss. Vahainu, o kayotze bezed, ka'amar kagon la'ani bimorachal. For example, a poor person during the week, because even a little loss for him is subjectively significant, or a rich person on Shabbat and Yom Tov. Because he, if, he, if you pass that his food is forbidden, he won't be able to prepare more on Shabbos and Yom Tov. And therefore, subjectively speaking, for the rich person, it will also be Shabbat So We treat it as if it were a great loss for a rich person in the middle of the week. And he says, I believe the Ramad derived lesser loss, but during the time of famine, which the Gemara outlines as a classic case of Shah Satchak and Hefsed, to show you that it's subjective. And that's how you know that for a poor person, it is Hefsed Merubah. Based on him, the Shabbat. 
And for a rich person on Shabbat and Yom Tov, Chashuv Komayevsim Rubah. Aval Bekatan, Keneged Gadol, but for a lesser posik, against a greater posik, Ein Zomchal Katan, Laakel, Beshadat Chak, Sheish Pahevsim Rubah. Kol Shekein Vechayotze Bezeh, Vahachim Naktin and Diloka Rav Agot Shulchan Aruch. Shehevim Midivrei Arash, Vadin Katan, Neged Gadol, Shavim Ladin Yachin, Neged Rabim Dlat, Elekid Apreshit. Now the Bach writes, that he thinks that you can never go against Katan Neged Gadol, even Behefsed Merubah. Only, the only thing you can do Behefsed Merubah is go against a Rabim in favor of Yachid, but never against a greater Posek in favor of a lesser Posek. The Shach follows, in this case, the Ramah and actually flips it and thinks that it's more likely that you can follow it a lesser posek over a greater posek, then a minority against a majority, and this itself is a function of a rule we've discussed before, Machloket, the Bach, and the Shach, as to whether the question of minority and majority holds sway when you're not dealing with a formal Beidin, with the case of, a, of an official vote. Um, the Bach thinks that... Um, At any rate, that the unique kulot are only um, by Yachin and Rabin, but not by Katan and Gadol. Because the Bach holds um, that the Yachin and Rabin, at least post Beidin, is not the real Yachid Virabim, uh, as it is in Beidin, and therefore it's legitimate to follow the minority position. But it's not legitimate, even under super extenuating circumstances, to follow the lesser posek, and the Shach thinks the opposite because the Shach believes that the rule of Yachid and Rabin even applies when counting uh, poskit. But besides for that question, the Machokes, the Ramah and Shach versus the Bach as to whether um, it is more likely that we can be makeil based on a fewer number of poskim rather than on lesser poskim or it's easier to follow minority, um, weaker post-game against majority, uh, against stronger post-game than it is against minority, to follow minority against a majority. Um, what is helpful in the Bach is his outline of the three types of Hesed, and he notes, again, to summarize, that there is minimal monetary loss where we just call that regular level Shazat Chak. And then he says there are two types of super Shazat Chak, of Shazat Chak plus Hefzid. And he says there's the objective category where you're going to lose a million dollars and that, even if someone is as rich as Jeff Bezos, where a million dollars will barely be felt, since objectively speaking a million dollars is a lot of money, so, there are objective cases of Shas HaTchak. And then there are subjective cases. And what he defines as subjective is subjective in one of two ways. Either subjective to the person or to the circumstance. And therefore he says, if you have a poor person, so then even a minor loss will be considered a great loss. And therefore you can invoke the super kulot of Shas HaTchak plus Hefzid Merubah. Or a rich person, if you're poskening about his food in such a way that he won't have food for Shabbos and Yom Tov, and he won't be able to recover it, so then, 
subjectively speaking, due to the circumstance, we treat it as a super shalatrak, and we invoke the super kulot, again, whether that's yachir and rabim, or lesser posek and greater posek, um, is something that we've discussed. But what you see from the Bach's analysis, and as I've said, I think this is a good model to understand the way Psach works in general, is that there are going to be factors that Postkin will define, objectively speaking, as extenuating circumstances that legitimate invoking the rules of, of Sharat Chak. And then there are subjective circumstances. And those subjective circumstances can be divided into situational circumstances um, in terms of time or person-based ones. And I think, as I said, this is a good model to understand the way Poskim approach Shazatrak in general. That there are certain factors that Poskim will take into into account and say, objectively speaking, this is considered a motivation to be particularly lenient. And therefore, no matter who's asking me, I'm willing to look at this factor and rule in a way that I might normally not have ruled. And then there are cases which are person or situation specific in which folks can say, look, it's not that under all circumstances this rule would compel me to be lenient, but in particular circumstances I'm willing to look at the local case and say here it is worth invoking a kula. And it's important to remember that while Hefzim Merubah may be the paradigm, and as we've seen for the Shach and the Bach and the Ramah, it may be that Shah legitimates pulling in particular kula that are not found in regular case of extenuating circumstances. This notion that when a posek weighs Shazatrak, sometimes they weigh objective extenuating circumstances, and sometimes they judge situational circumstances, either based on the person or a particular moment at which the person finds himself, that general model is found, I think, in all cases of Psikar HaLacha, Bishar and is therefore worth noting, as we discuss, um, have said Meruba as the lens through which we can understand the broader uh, questions. Another case that I think is helpful to think about this um, is a a machlokis that one finds in the achronim. as to whether you view Hafsid in light of um, the loss, each loss independently, or whether you're allowed to look at the broader picture. So there is a machlokas. Um, Ramosha Feinstein argues that one is, in the case of um, a, a shaila of whether one will have to be machmir and and deem a set of china um, of, of china dishes as as us or not 
Ramoshe Feinstein is willing to invoke a certain kulot in that regard um, because he looks at the entire set of the the China as um, as a whole. Rabbi um, Eger has a tshuva in which he applies that that is not the case. And rather seems to say that in order for something to be considered hefsed miruba, you, you would have to look at each item independently. And if the loss of a, of a single china plate would not be considered a great loss, then the fact that one is really posketing on 20 china plates, which taken together is a great loss, would not would not make it legitimate to invoke the special kulot of uh, Hefzid Merubah. And again, I think that this uh, Machloket, Ramosha, and Rebekah Eger is, is telling, because what you have here is a Machloket about whether when you're judging um, extenuating circumstances, whether you isolate each shaila that's being asked and every factor and say, if I only had this aspect, would I view this as enough of a pressurized case to rely on special kulo? Or am I allowed to or obligated to take the broader picture into account? And in this particular case, you see that Ramosha is willing to take the broader perspective and Rabbi Kivager is not. And you will find similar machlokot in different cases of Shalatchak of whether, in order to deem it legitimate to rely on um, extenuating circumstances, you're allowed to look at the broader picture and say, if I pass in this way in a hundred different cases, so then there would be a real pressure, and therefore it's legitimate for me to pass in Lukula, or do you have to isolate each element of the Shaila and say, well, none of them independently qualifies as particularly machmir, particularly difficult, if I paskin the Chumrah, and therefore you have to paskin um, uh, you have to paskin le um, Chumrah. And again, as a model for other cases of Shaz Chak, I think this is important because you will find postcode of a tendency to look at the broader um, perspective. Um, and you have postkim who will be much more animistic and look at the local issue um, rather than the... Um, the broader, the broader perspective. Um, there is also a machlokes haposkim based on achsam sofer as to when one is mekil in the case of shasat chag and esim whether you are um, lenient only for the person for whom this is a hefsid or for other people for whom it wouldn't be hefsid. So, for example, if you have a butcher who, if you pass in something as usher, will cause him a tremendous amount of loss because he won't be able to sell his meat, so it may be legitimate to pass in. Lekula. But the Chazam Sofer writes 
that it's true that the butcher is allowed to sell the meat under those circumstances, but other people cannot buy it. Because for them, they could just go to another butcher. And therefore, it is not Shasatchak for them. Many, if not most, both can reject this. Because as they write, that defeats the entire purpose. If you say that a butcher is allowed to sell his meat because he's allowed to rely on Kula, because it'll cause him great loss, but then you turn around and say, but no one's allowed to buy from him, then who's the butcher even selling his meat to? Now, besides for the pragmatic critique of the Chassam Sofer, again, you have a, a model for the type of questions that people will ask in Shasat Chak, where you have the Chassam Sofer who is looking at the very local issue, which is, I'm willing to be makeable, but only for those for whom there's a loss. And the other post can respond, no. Shasat Chak and Hefzid allow us to look at the bigger picture and apply the kula to a person who doesn't need it for the sake of the person who does need it because it's legitimate to take a more lenient position for the entire picture, even for those people within the picture who for them, the kula is not necessary. And again, similar to the machlogan we saw before between Ramosha Feinstein and Bikiva Eger, you have a machloket here about how much you're allowed to take the broader picture into account um, or do you have to isolate each element and for the people of whom it's a loss so they can, for them you can say they're allowed to rely on kulot and for others you're not. Again, there's the pragmatic argument against Chassam Sofer which is you may not have helped the butcher if you say that no one can buy from him but the broader issue of whether you look at the local question, or whether you say once one person's need legitim- legitimizes me invoking, I'm allowed to extend that kula to the people who don't need it, that type of model of the local or the broader vision, when applying these rules, I think is emblematic of the different approaches that post can take um, in general. Now again, within Hefs and Ruba, there are many other issues um, that can be dealt with. So, for example, how does one balance the question of, um, of Hefs and Meruba and Atar Chasamun Shal Yisrael with alternate principles that you find in the Gemara, such as Ashirut, that in the Beit HaMikdash and the like, you have to spend more money because we don't do things in poor ways. And that is a question that no Yehuda and the Chufa Me'ava struggle with. Um, there are discussions in the post scheme as to uh, to the different ways in which these rules are applied to individuals and the community. Um, how it would be applied in assays versus lota assays. Um, but as I said, I think that looking at Hefzim Merubah and understanding that for some postkim it is the paradigm that allows unique kula, or for others it is at least an example of a super sharatchak, allows us to get a lens into the type of questions that come up when paskining under extenuating circumstances and we've brought a few uh, examples. Uh, the Machlok at Ramosha and Rebekah Eger as to whether we look at the localized question or we look at the sum total 
of the issues, the three um, positions that the Bach outlines, noting that Shas HaTchak has to be determined both in objective cases where there are certain things that Poskim will treat as extenuating circumstances for everybody, even if certain people may be able to swallow the more Machmer Psak, and then those other extenuating circumstances which are either person-specific or situation-specific, which in the Bach's example for monetary loss means being more makele for poor people and being more makele even for rich people on Shabbos and Yom Tov or Bishnei Batzoret when there's a famine. And then the Machloket Ksam Sofer and others as to whether we only invoke the Kulot for the person who needs it or whether it's legitimate to take the broader perspective and say it'll only help Ruvain, if we allow Shimon to take advantage as well. And these types of questions as to how do we determine Shazad Chak? Do we try to find objective measures or subjective measures or both? Do we look at the, the local question or the sum total of what will happen if all these questions were poskined in a particular way? Do we only look at the person who's asking the Shaila or do we take the entire situation into account? Those types of questions appear in different ways in each of the types of, uh, of issues that are invoked for Shasat Chak. And um, as I said, while, while in the local sugi of Shasat Chak there is much more to discuss, my main goal for this year was to outline the types of organizational questions that you find in all questions that relate to extenuating circumstances and hefset being either the paradigm or the super case of Shatat Chak provides a helpful lens to which we can organize our thoughts about how Postkim approach the complexity of defining Shatat Chak in each circumstance.